You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Jets podcast here for Thursday, June 18th, 2020. I'm your host, John B. from gangrenenation.com, and our episode today is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. On today's show, we are going to do our weekly mailbag. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. Let's get started. And our first question comes from Paul. Uh, Paul writes, John is a Jets fan. I think that a successful season this year is all about Sam Darnold's growth, even if Gase stinks and our offensive line is not in the top 10. In the, the last two weeks, I've watched a lot of Sam Darnold. I'm trying to figure out whether I feel he's going to be successful, and if he is, what he needs to do to flourish. We all know that Adam Gase is not helping his cause. We also know that the Jets had probably the worst offensive line in football last year, and Sam did all he could to survive. After spending time analyzing Sam, it seems like a good majority of his throws were off-balance with horrible footwork. I was wondering if this is a consequence of running for his life, or whether this is a result of him being successful and improvising and throwing off the run. After watching, a, after watching a good number of film, I've come with a conclusion, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. Oftentimes, athletic quarterbacks get drafted and need to be coached up so they stay in the pocket and don't use their athletic skills to try to be successful. This is usually a function of them being successful in high school and college because of their athleticism. On that same note, it seems like Sam does not concentrate on his footwork because he's able to successfully throw a good percentage of his passes off balance, but with passes that require good footwork, he's often off target. If you dissect the bad passes that Sam had last season, most of them are routes that require the quarterback to step up and fire an accurate pass. So Paul there uh, giving us a breakdown of Darnold's play, and I, I generally agree with Paul on this. I do think footwork is something Darnold needs to work on. You know, we always talk about how Darnold needs to be more consistent, and I think that's one of the aspects of his game where he needs to be more consistent. And you know, footwork's one of those mechanical things. And when it comes to mechanics, I think it's one of the, like the most I think those are some of like the most misunderstood aspects of quarterback play because people ha like have an idea of what a quarterback should look like in their minds, and that's not always the case. Everybody has to like figure out something that works for them. Like you you would never teach a kid to throw the football the way Philip Rivers throws it. You, know, you, may, you may look at that as like bad mechanics, but it works for him because he can repeat the motion every single time. For me, it's more about just consistency and the results. You know, if, you, if you're doing something the exact same way every single time and the ball is getting to where it needs to get to, it doesn't matter if it's a little unorthodox. And that's Philip Rivers. I'm not so much talking about footwork as I'm just talking about throwing motion. And with Darnold, when you look at a lot of his bad throws, they do come, and you know, like even the announcers who usually don't point out this mechanical stuff, even the announcers will point out frequently how he's throwing off his back foot. And as Paul mentioned, you know, a lot of Darnold's throws are coming on the run, and part of that is a function of how bad the Jets' offensive line was last year, and part of it is just a function of you know, Darnold's playing style. I mean, I think in today's NFL, you have to have some degree of mobility. You know, you don't necessarily need to be a dynamic rushing threat who is going to run a lot of option plays, a lot of keepers, but you do need to have some degree of mobility. If you don't have any mobility back there, you're putting your team at a disadvantage. Darnold has what I'd call functional mobility where he can, you know, he's not going to be a guy who's going to run for 700 yards, but he's got mobility in a, enough to evade the rush. And, you know, when you're throwing on the run, that's not, that not I wouldn't 
necessarily say that's bad mechanics. You know, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, just even though it's not how in an ideal world you'd be able to stand in the pocket and, as Paul said, deliver a, you know, deliver a strike to the receiver. Sometimes you have to be able to throw on the run. And, you know, you hear people talk about arm talent. What that is is the ability to kind of throw the ball from a number of different platforms, whether it's, you know, and sometimes you need to throw sidearm. Sometimes you need to throw on the run and still be able to get the ball where it needs to go. And I think Darnold has adequate arm talent, but I, I, I very much agree with Paul on this, is I think Darnold needs to be more consistent with his feet when he doesn't need to run. You know, sometimes you've got to run. Sometimes the pressure's on you, and hopefully that will happen less this year with the Jets hopefully having upgraded their offensive line. He sometime, but he, there will always be instances where Darnold's going to have to run. But I agree with Paul. I think there were too many times where the feet were not great on when Darnold had to stay in the pocket and you know you go back to a lot of completion not just for Darnold but for a lot of quarterbacks when they're in the pocket when the passes are erratic a lot of times you you go back to it and you look at the feet I've heard scouts say that you know the, the feet show you where the ball is going to go you know a bad pass is the frequently the result of you not doing something right with your feet you know they're pointed in the wrong direction or there's something wrong about your stride and again it's not so much an issue when the ball gets where it needs to go but when the, the pass is incomplete. So many times you go back and you look and you say, you know, there was something wrong with the feet there. And I would also say that, yes, it's possible to complete a pass when your mechanics aren't that great, even within the pocket. Sometimes you, you'll get the ball where it needs to go when your feet aren't great. But I think if you look at Darnold, a lot of his, I, I would not say this was like the number one issue with him. And I also would say it's not, it's, I don't think his feet are horrible. You know, like I remember... Prior to the 2018 draft, you know, Josh Allen, the guy the Bills eventually drafted, played college football at Wyoming. He was a guy who at least people thought there was a chance the Jets would take him. So I remember watching Allen, and Allen was known as a very inaccurate passer. And I can't tell you how many times, like when I was watching Allen's uh, college footage at Wyoming, how many times there, there was an inaccurate pass that went back to his footwork, where his feet were just were not pointed in the right direction. And it was it was something that really stuck out. I don't think Darnold's on that level, but I do think it needs to improve because, again, like there were some that were just egregious last year. I mean, there were a couple of interceptions in that nightmare Monday night loss to the Patriots where I mean, he just didn't step into the throw. He was falling back when he was throwing. And th those were like really egregious interceptions. But I think Darnold's issues with footwork are, are more understated, but th they need work. And I think that that's, you know, like when I heard the Jets hired Adam Gase and you know you look at you hear about how Adam Gase is a great quarterback developer and I go back and I look at Darnold's film in 2019 and I say well why wasn't this drilled it sometimes it's not you know sometimes it's tough to drill stuff into guys I get it you know like sometimes you can you can work with a guy you work with a guy for years and he just won't be able to pick it up but I hear about how Adam Gase is this great quarterback teacher and I, I look at the feet and I wonder gee why wasn't this why didn't get this get better in, in year two? Why, why wasn't why, why were there so many throws like this? And I think again, I, I don't want to overstate it because I don't think it's like I don't think it's the type of thing that where I'm, where I'm saying like I'm really worried about Darnold over this. But I think if he's going to take the next step, it's going to have to get more consistent. Because yes, I mean you can throw you can you you can throw all arm and get the ball where it needs to go, but you make it less likely because you know there's there's more that can go wrong and. 
more that has to go right if you're if you're not using the proper footwork. And it's difficult again. It's difficult to explain. It's especially difficult to explain over a podcast where we're just speaking. But I I, I tend to agree with Paul. I think that this is an underrated area where you know we always talk about where Darnold needs to improve, where Darnold needs to get more consistent. People always say Darnold needs to get more consistent. This is an area where I think that's true. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they knew we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you will ever need. RockAuto.com. Locked on Jets podcast here on a Mailbag Thursday. Next question, John, with undrafted free agents, sometimes you get very lucky like Wes Welker, Cameron Wake, or Antonio Gates, just to name a few. That said, are there any current Jets undrafted free agents you think may impress if they can get on the field and stay on the field? Well, you know, I don't think you can ever count on a Wes Welker or a Cameron Wake or an Antonio Gates um, out of undrafted free agency. Um, you have to remember Antonio Gates is like a once-in-a-lifetime player where he doesn't play college football and turns into one of the greatest tight ends in the history of the league. Um, you know, I, I don't think that that's a very likely outcome. And, you know, the vast majority of undrafted free agents are not even going to make the roster. For most undrafted free agents, if you make the practice squad year one, it's a success because you at least give yourself, you give yourself a shot to develop you know i answered this question a few weeks ago and my answer was no and i think like bryce huff might be the guy if i had to pick one you know a few weeks ago like i said a few weeks ago like i, I didn't i did not give anybody just because i was not that impressed i guess bryce huff might be my guy because he's athletic and you know I, I liked what i saw from out of memphis i don't think he was a guy who should have been drafted high but I was a little surprised he did not get drafted now he lacks the length you'd want in a an edge rusher so you know maybe he'll have trouble like disengaging from blocks or make you know making moves but Bryce Huff might be my guy but you know the, I mean the other thing you have to remember is how long it took these guys to develop you know I don't know that we're, we can expect anything in 2020 you know you remember Robbie Anderson's rookie year he was a non-drafted free agent Robbie Anderson was more productive than like practically any undrafted free agent as a rookie. And he was like, uh, you know, he didn't produce that much back in 2016. And he started most of the season because Eric Decker got hurt fairly early in the 2016 season. And Anderson stepped into the starting lineup as a result. And as a rookie, I mean, Anderson produced 587 yards. And that was a great season for an undrafted rookie. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize. I'm actually praising because... 500, 587 yards for undrafted rookies, a tremendous season. And it just, it's just not good. You can't expect big things out of undrafted rookies. If you get anything out of an undrafted rookie, it's a, it's a success. You know, you mentioned Wes Welker. I mean, he really did not take off until he got onto his second team, until he went to New England. And Cameron Wake, you have to remember, actually had to go to the CFL. He had to go to a different league to develop his game, which 
you know, I'm not sure is the worst move in the world. You know, if you're a player who you know is, can't make a roster, I'm not sure you're worse off going to the CFL than you would be on a practice squad because in the CFL you get to play. You get, I think the best way to develop is to actually play, and I think like all of this speaks to why there needs to be a developmental league. Why, why the NFL really needs a developmental league in, in the spring, just to get guys game action, guys who need reps, get them into game action. You know, it's well over a decade. It's probably close to 15 years since the NFL folded NFL Europe, and there's been a big void since then. And you've seen other, other leagues try to step in. I mean, I don't think you can – I think it's really tough for – league for a spring league that's just a purely developmental league to make a profit i think it's tough for it's going to be tough for one of those leagues to stay in business i think i think it's the nfl that's going to just going to have to form a developmental league to get these guys game experience that they need these undrafted guys who you know may have the physical tools necessary but just need game reps uh, you know and it's unfortunate what happened to the xfl because the xfl seemed like it was it was off to a pretty good start. And I was reading, there was an article on ESPN uh, a little bit earlier this week about what happened with the XFL. And they, in the article, they mentioned that, like the league's next step was they were going to go to guys like Josh Rosen, who has not, who have not gotten fair chances in the NFL. I mean, Rosen's been put in two ridiculous situations where he's had no shot and they'd go to him and say, Hey, why don't you come play with us? And that's exactly what a guy like Josh Rosen would, he needs to go to a league where he can get some action not in ridiculous situations like Miami last year or, or Arizona two years ago and have a fair shot. So I think that like there needs to be a developmental league. I think that more than anything would help guys in that area, you know, guys who maybe aren't good enough to be drafted, but have physical tools. But all of this to say, I guess the question was, who do I think is the best option uh, for undrafted free agents? I'd probably go with Bryce Huff, who is an edge rusher out of Memphis. Next question, uh, Joe Douglas has taken a very disciplined approach to his first-time GM duties. Which move do you like the most? Which move have you liked the least? And what move do you think he can or still should make? So it's not a single move with Douglas because I think like most of his moves you could argue either way on. You could you could say you could see maybe this turns out good, maybe this turns out bad. I think it's more big picture what I like out of Douglas where I see the plan and I like the plan where he's focusing on the offensive line. There's, there's a clear, I, mean, I guess if a single move, it would, be, it would be Becton. The fact that they addressed offensive line in the first round and got a guy with a super high ceiling. So, But I think in general, it's just the big picture thinking where they're not overspending on free agents, where they are trading down and adding extra draft picks because that's what, you, that's what the good t- drafting teams do. The good drafting teams add extra picks because you have to build in a margin for error. Even the best GM is going to miss on picks. So when you have extra ones, it gives you more of a chance. You know, it essentially raises your odds of hitting on guys. I like the fact that he's focused on the offensive line. I like the fact that you know it seems like there's a clear plan to build this defense. They're getting a lot of zone corners, and they're going to run. You know, they're going to run a heavy zone scheme, which does not necessarily. It's not necessarily a corner dependent scheme. So they're not spending big money but they're finding guys who have the attributes who can run that scheme. So I just think it's a lot of big picture s- stuff. Uh, which move did I like the least? I'd have to go with, I just think they overpaid for Alex Lewis. I, and again, like I say this, I've said this before, like I think there's a huge disconnect between what most of the media thinks and how well Alex Lewis actually played. 
I get the feeling like unless you're Spencer Long, like most writers are just going to say that an offensive lineman is solid. Unless there's unless a guy's like Alex Long, Alex. I'm sorry. Unless a guy Spencer Long or like Wayne Hunter, where it's so obvious they're bad, anybody can see it. I get the feeling like people in the media just say every offensive lineman is, is solid, and it's not always the case. And like I just think there's a huge disconnect in the media between what they think of Alex Lewis because they they all seem to think he's solid and what he actually was, which was probably a below average player, a low end starter, high end backup. And I just think they overpaid for Lewis. So I mean, as much as I like the the focus on the offensive line. This was a case where they re-signed a guy who last year was part of the worst offensive line in the NFL, or or one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. What move would I still like to see? Well, I'd probably say Larry Warford. I, I, you know, some people will say Jadavian Clowney. I mean, how much does Jadavian Clowney really improve this team? I mean, how how much does just does J, J, I'm sorry, how much does Jadavian Clowney really move the needle i don't know that he really is that kind of an impact player whereas larry warford i think is be- is just a big upgrade over what the jets have at guard and i he's coming off a bad season he's coming off kind of a down year but i i, I still think he's a big upgrade over what the jets have at guard and i think he's going to be a fairly affordable player i, I think so i I'd, st- I'd still like to see the jets sign larry warford and continue their focus on the offensive line Locked on Jets podcast here on a Mailbag Thursday. Our last question, is the Jets' opportunity to win the Super Bowl with Darnold on his cheap rookie deal, such as the Chiefs with Mahomes or the Eagles with Wentz? Is our first realistic shot going to be on his second contract at this point? Um, It's difficult to say. So here's the problem right now is we're already in year three, and are the Jets a team that's really in a position to win the Super Bowl? I'd say probably not. And I think this goes back to like what the – problem was with the way the Jets handled last offseason is if the Jets had fired Mike McCagnan at the start of the offseason and they hired a GM you know maybe it's Joe Douglas maybe it's not but they could have gotten a good GM at the start of last offseason you'd give that guy essentially a blank slate to build a team you would have had a top draft pick and you would have had a lot of money in free agency and that guy would have had a shot to really build up this team and then once the draft class started hitting maybe year two, like this past season, this this coming season, this could be a year where the Jets are, are in the mix for a Super Bowl. Jets did not do that. They kept McCagnan. So now McCagnan gets to spend all this money in 2019. And the roster is essentially set for two years. And yeah, like the, Douglas had some flexibility to make moves this offseason, but it wasn't the same degree of flexibility as McCagnan had a year before. McCagnan had a chance to really shape the roster for, for two years. And Douglas could really only tinker with things this offseason so now we're so that that essentially gives that essentially takes two years off the clock so now next year this offseason douglas is going to have a blank slate which means the jets will have a shot if douglas does his job the jets will have a shot next year but now we're in year four we're in really the last year of darnold's rookie contract so ultimately like i go back to this an opportunity i think was squandered by not making the change sooner last year by not making the change sooner last year the Jets essentially allowed McCagnan to set their course for two seasons. And, you know, year one, Douglas had virtually no chance to change anything because McCagnan had already set the 2019 roster. And even in 2020, while Douglas has had the chance to make some changes, it would have been in much, I think the Jets would have been in much better shape if they had just given him the blank slate a year ago or whoever the GM was. Because then you would have had 
two to three years. He would have had a two to three year window to build this thing up on the, uh, over Darnold's rookie contract. Whereas Douglas has inherited a roster that was more or less set for two years. So now we're going to be in year four before the chance, before Douglas really has a chance to build this thing up and give the Jets an opportunity. And year four is the final year of Darnold's rookie contract. So it's not impossible. And look, I, one of the things that I think is important, it's not impossible to win a Super Bowl with your quarterback on his second contract or his third contract. It's it's doable, but it's just common sense. I mean, you essentially have the same player who was making ten around ten million a year before, now making around thirty million. It make it makes it much tougher to build your team up. It makes it much tougher to build the depth you need. It makes it much better tougher to get all the pieces in place. And your quarterback really needs to be a difference maker. On your rookie contract, your quarterback can be kind of a guy who's a role player, whereas. If you have a quarterback on a second contract around $30 million, he's really got to be a difference maker. So it just makes it tougher. Um, so I think, I don't know that it's necessarily finished. I don't know that the Jets are necessarily finished with Darnold's rookie year, but I think it's really probably going to be a one-year window. I think next year would be the year. If Douglas has a big offseason heading into 2021, then they'll have a shot. But you've left yourself one year, whereas the teams that, that do it right leave themselves like three years. So I think that's that's really the mistake the Jets made, and it can all be traced back to you know not making a general manager change soon enough last off season. That's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoy our show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. I hope you have a good Thursday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to close out the week.